Saturday Night Live with Peter Dinklage is over, but we are just getting started here on Saturday Night Live, live here on Post Show Recaps. And now here are the two guys who are sure to wear their space pants every day. I am Rob Sister and his Rich Tackerberg. Rich, how are you? Good. I'm glad I coordinated. I wore my space shorts yes. uh, to go with your space pants. When I say space, you say shorts. I say space shorts. You say space pants. Okay. <laughs> Rich, how's it going? We've been on uh, such a long hiatus. I feel like we haven't done these in a long time. I know. It was weird coming back. It was like I, I felt rusty and out of shape, kind of like uh, the writers of SNL. I think it was uh, we all sort of shared in that uh, in that uh, getting back up to speed groove. <laughs> we all went through it together. Uh, Peter Dinklage, uh, of course, uh, Game of Thrones, many other things was the host uh, this week. Apparently, he's in the new uh, Melissa McCarthy movie that I saw commercial for today as well uh he was the guest host this week and i think i did the old thing that you're never supposed to do i think i got my hopes up really high for this episode rich i'm surprised you did i mean i like peter dinklich and i think uh, i think he did a yeoman's job uh on a lot of fronts i thought he he really sort of brought it um but you know he does fall into that category of serious actor who wants to come on the show and make fun of themselves which is great but we haven't had a great track record mm-hmm. of that paying off this season or last season or the season before. So I think my uh, my 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 bar was fairly low. Uh, I still don't know uh, if it was uh, if it even hit the bar that as low as I had it. Um, but as always, within every sketch, there was something to enjoy. Yeah. Even if in some of them they were few and far between, there's always something fun to talk about. Okay. All right, so we record this live on Blab every week after a new episode of SNL. If you want to get your questions in for the live audience, you can post them here in the chat, and uh, we will take your questions as we go through the entire show. Rich, uh, let's jump into uh, the cold open, which, you know, as they have done uh, many, many times this season, it has been some version of some cable news show talking about the events of the week. And of course, in 2016, the political news uh, never fails to disappoint. And we had a woman who was uh, supposed to be, I'm not sure. Is this a real person or not? That's Leslie. She is. She's, she's a real person that I found out after the fact. Yes. Right. Scott Nelly, Nell Hughes. Yeah. And so uh, she was on the uh, Kate Dawson TV show on CNN and she was a woman defending Donald Trump. Yeah. So this is a, an interesting I mean, this is a new uh, CNN correspondent that we're seeing Kate Baldwin, something like that. I mm-hmm. don't know her. Uh, uh, Kate McKinnon playing the role, uh, which I thought was going to be. All right. We're going to do a, a SNL classic cold open roundup of many different political stories, throwing it to many people. But instead, we just focus on this one person. Uh, as we said, Scott Nelly, Scotty Nell Hughes, which they announced as being an anchor from the Tea Party News Network, which I thought was SNL. SNL's making fun of the Fox News Network, but in fact, that is a thing. The Tea Party News Network is her actual Learn thing. Learn something new every day. Exactly, exactly. And this is a case where, again, you know, SNL has it very complicated because I totally understand them using CNN uh, and and referencing this woman as part of the topical news, but they have to remember that people like myself, we don't really watch CNN. So I don't know who Kate Baldwin is. I don't know who Scotty Nell is. Hold on, I thought you uh, know every. 
everything going on on CNN. Isn't CNN on in the lobby in your office? It is. It is on in the lobby. And it is my the more Donald Trump that is on, the more my ability to tune it out. It's like I actually see a green screen instead of the opposite. It's amazing how I can sort of pretend it's not there. So, you know, this is a challenge because nobody I'm imagining that for most of the SNL viewing audience, none of us actually know this character uh, that we're seeing Scotty Nell Hughes wouldn't know the real person. Mm-hmm. And I think that Cecily does a pretty good job of what Taryn Killam does fantastically. And also Kate McKinnon McKinnon does pretty well, which is create a character that is fun to watch, even if you don't know the person being parodied. Um, and so I thought the beginning of this, especially the interplay between Kate and Cecily was actually fairly strong. I, I thought that they did a nice rapport. The character sort of set up of the person, you know, the, the, the character, the fictional character is very clear. It's the person who's going to defend Donald Trump no matter what. And for a lot of it, I thought it, it worked fairly well. What did you think of cutting to the Daryl Hammond, Donald Trump a number of times? <laughs> Here's where it gets hard. And I don't certainly don't blame uh, Daryl Hammond. And I don't know that I blame the writers for this because you're sort of stuck in what Donald Trump actually said is so crazy that to have Daryl Hammond simply restate it again is underwhelming. But then for them to write even crazier things uh, and then have this this character respond to things that the real Donald Trump didn't actually say kind of is a hard catch 22. And I don't know the legal rights and clearances issue of this, but we're all under parody. I think this sketch would have really come to life if SNL would have broken format and done this sketch with Kate and with Cecily and then real CNN news clips Mm -hmm. of Donald Trump actually saying the things he said without it being impersonated and then watch Cecily Strong try to justify it. I think it could have been a much stronger sketch. There may have been 50 reasons why they can't do that. But if they could have, I think it could have made this a much stronger cold open. That's interesting. Yeah, we had uh, Donald Trump talking about Ivanka's breasts, uh, which uh, I don't know. They are tremendous. She just (laughs) gave birth. So they are tremendous. Yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) And uh, then we ended up uh, cutting to uh, was he just punching Bobby Moynihan in the face? No, there was a bee on Bobby's face and he was punching it off. Yeah, I did like the Bobby line of uh, I'm voting for you. Mm -hmm. I thought that was a great Bobby. A lot of good Bobby in this episode. That that was a nice one. Yeah, I also did like the line of make American grapes again. I thought that was pretty good. Very funny. Very (laughs) funny. So. Rich, I also thought it was interesting on the live from New York that we had a split screen where uh, both Cecily and Kate McKinnon like turned to each other, though they were on split screen. Loved it. Loved it. This is what this is. We we need to get uh, Larry David watching this cold open. So when he comes back as Bernie Sanders for next week's cold open, this is how you start the show. Yeah. All right. So, all right. So, you, overall, you seem uh, what uh, tepid on the. I, I thought open? it was a B. I thought it was okay. fun. I liked the character. I thought there was some like the one on Bobby's face. Exactly, exactly. I thought it was a B. I thought it was a a solid enough start. If I had known where the rest of the episode was going to go, I would have liked it a lot more in the moment. Okay. All right. So you feel like it sucks more or less than Casey Anthony? Oh, come on. She's she's always late. Come on. (laughs) How much does that suck? All right. So we get to the monologue and here comes the dink. 
Uh, he's ready to go. I did like the line he said, if you don't know who I am, congratulations, you're not a nerd. So that was a pretty good start for Dinklage. But uh, we end up with him taking questions from the audience and Bobby Moynihan is going to be George R.R. R. Martin uh, fielding questions from this. Uh, Rich, I, I don't know if this is the point okay. where uh, if I'm too inside baseball with the Game of Thrones, but I felt like that there are lots of funny things to talk about with Game of Thrones, but I kind of feel like that they didn't have an original Game of Thrones take the entire night. Yeah, I mean, you know, here's the challenge, and I, and I probably would have brought it up when we got to the uh, to the HBO preview. You know, the game the for SNL to make fun of Game of Thrones, their own worst enemy is the 2012 episode of Saturday Night Live when we had the behind the scenes of Game of Thrones uh, as a digital short, and Andy Samberg played the 13 year old boy who writes boobs into all of the Game of Thrones scenes. That was such a fresh and original take, which uh, trivia point uh, co-written by Command. Nail Nanjani of uh, of Silicon Alley, uh, Silicon Valley, um, helped write that sketch back in 2012. Um, so I think this this was uh, really hard. We're going to see it a lot in making fun of it. I agree. I mean the the I lo- I love Bobby as the George R. Martin character. I think he does such a fun job with that character. But again, we didn't really hear anything new within this. It was a lot of he likes boobs. Uh, we're going to make a joke about the cutaways. Uh, you know, we, 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 we didn't really dig deep enough. I always wonder with this, whether this is just, they didn't have it. They just, you know, it happens like a, like a sports team. Some days you just don't show you don't have it. Or was it a push pull between producers saying, Hey, writers, that joke is funny, but no one's going to get that unless you're actually a game of Thrones fan. So we need to just cut across the surface so that all of the SNL audience will get the jokes as opposed to just putting in things for the hardcore fans. I would hope that's not the case because we really want, uh, you know, we really want those good jokes because that's really what's going to play. Okay. Rich, I noticed some weird things going on here with the camera work in terms of the camera shaking. Did you catch that? Yeah. A weird night in general, I would say. Very weird. Yeah. There was a weird camera bobble on, on Bobby. It was very strange. Yeah. It seemed like, uh, yeah. And then I felt like, uh, it was a couple of different shots on that, on the monologue. I felt like I, I didn't know what was going on. I didn't know if it was part of a gag. It didn't seem like it was. No, I think it was, we, I, I it felt just weird. It's just a, a couple of miscues. Maybe one of the possibilities that often comes up, I think, is I wonder if, uh, they had another monologue. Again, maybe a Game of Thrones, uh, you know, uh, actor was going to show up and they had to scrap it at the last minute. Maybe they had a musical number that that died in dress. And this was potentially written very last minute. I think that SNL is such a well-oiled machine production wise that when you start to see miscues, it often makes me think that they threw out the monologue and wrote something very fast. And the production team had to do the best that they could do to cover. But it's it's live TV and, and made him mistake here or there that would not surprise me uh based on what was going on with this monologue because it did seem like it was you know the thing where it's like it's not one idea it's six ideas over the course of like like they didn't have one strong premise that they put together then leslie jones comes in at the end as the dragon yeah leslie jones comes in as the hacky dragon being leslie jones which is basically foreshadowing not one but two other sketches <laughs> we're gonna see this evening which was very strange to me although i don't want to move past so that without saying to me the mvp of this sketch was Vanessa Bayer who's willing to take her top off because let's face it screen time is screen time I that really made me laugh 
It's very important. All right. Uh, pretty short monologue yeah. overall. Uh, nothing too memorable overall for uh, the Dinklage monologue tonight. I did like one other thing I'll quickly throw out is when he's talking about whether Jon Snow is alive. He's like, he's like, I don't know. I have the scripts, but let's face it. If I'm not in the scene, Petey, no reedy. I thought that was a nice little, little, little toss. Yeah. Okay. Uh, let's talk about uh, Winnie the Pooh. And uh, this sketch here, which certainly seemed like a weird way for SNL to go. And it's Winnie the Pooh's birthday party. And then here comes somebody, Denny the Real, uh, Winnie the Pooh's cousin, comes to visit. Yeah, this was an odd one for me to start off with for a couple of reasons. The first is I always thought, and again, I'm going to try so hard not to be politically incorrect. I guarantee I will inadvertently step in it, but I apologize. Given Peter Dinklage is a I remember the proper term I want to be is is not about him given that he is a a diminutive person I'm sure someone will correct me with the right term I always wonder when somebody is uh you know is uh, you know not looking like their traditional Matthew McConaughey uh guest host do you play into that or do you not play into that and for the almost the most part in the show we sort of avoided it it was sort of an irrelevant point which I actually liked but this sketch, it turned out that it was an irrelevant point. But seeing the first live sketches, Peter Dinklage dressed as Winnie the Pooh, I was like, are we making height jokes out of the gate here? Really? And then, in fact, they weren't. But it was an odd placement to kind of set of weird expectations. So uh, it, the whole thing sort of started a little bit weird for me. I really like Jay Farrow's character in this. Uh, I thought he did a nice job. Uh, as Mark uh, Mark C. 212 was saying uh, to me earlier, uh, which I totally agree, it's amazing to think of Jay Farrow when his first season, when he was not doing an impression of a famous actor, how he really did not have the charisma to carry a scene and here he completely carried the scene I I don't think even my boy Bobby I don't think necessarily brought anything specifically special to this Uh, it really was the Jay Farrow show and to that extent I don't know how much I would say this worked either Uh, but within that there were a couple of funny lines that really made me laugh yeah I don't know where was the outcry for you know somebody should really talk about the weird stuff going on on Winnie the Pooh I don't, and I feel like we really didn't break any new grounds to say, you know, that the Winnie the Pooh crew is kind of odd in general. Uh, I will have to say the effects I thought were very impressive. I really was very, very impressed with the yeah. overall makeup job that was done in this scene. And this is, I mean, the, and the, the thing of, you know, you're looking at Peter Dinklage who had just done a monologue before within in one commercial break was turned into with the, with the face makeup and the face prosthetics and stuff. Uh, so they, they definitely did a nice job. Yeah. Um, what anything stand out for you besides uh, the overall performance of Jay Farrow here in Winnie the Pooh? Uh, I liked when Jay Farrow was talking about. I mean, it's not a new idea comedically, but the idea that Winnie the Pooh is wearing a shirt and no pants, and he says, "You look like a black guy in a porno trying to hide his gut." Mm-hmm. I thought that was very funny. Uh, I liked that when he announced that uh, they had made your boy the new Charmin Bear, uh, and that he was going to be dripping in honeycombs, berries, and hose. I thought that was a very funny. Um, yeah, a couple of things here and there. Uh, for me, uh, I would say 
uh, it was almost an boy for me. It was it was close to that. It right. was ta- it was dangerously on the line. Yeah, I thought they really struggled also to find an ending uh, for this sketch, which I think is going to be a theme of the night. Yeah, and a weird sort of mistake that SNL usually doesn't make, which is we're ending on the joke being within a voiceover, but we as the audience are reading the same text on the screen on the fake book, so we've actually read the ending way before the narration finishes so it was a tough out on this one yeah uh anything else on winnie the pooh you that i i feel like i cut you off no no uh i as much as i love bobby uh i i don't know that he necessarily uh brought much to this but it was fun to see all of them in makeup okay all right so we go from that into a packaged piece uh no pun intended uh naked and afraid celebrity edition peter dinklage and leslie jones yeah so uh it was interesting to see on our on our site uh, on on the site that we both enjoy going to Hitfix to see uh, uh, what people said that this got a, a very high score for me. I was very surprised because I felt like the premise of Leslie Jones and Peter Dinklage being on Naked and Afraid is a very good idea. Okay, I get it, but once you give me that idea, just from being a fan of SNL the last year and a half. I would have written this exact sketch and I'm not a professional comedy writer. So uh, I think once we set it up, we were really relying on the performance of Leslie Jones and the straight man acting of Peter Dinklage, which were both good. But there for me was just no surprises. Uh, oh, she's going to hit on him. Yep. And she's going to try to eat him and she's going to call him the right. Yep. Uh-huh. Check. Check, check. Uh, so for me, this was this was a tough one. It was a very novel premise, but I, I don't know that uh, it did much for me in execution. You know what? I think that this is going to be a sketch that if you are not a regular SNL viewer, if somebody just shares this post on Facebook, I think you're going to think that this is, oh, this is really hilarious. Uh, Peter Dinklage and Leslie Jones. If you are somebody who has seen all of SNL and sees Leslie Jones do this exact same bit every single time she's at the update desk with Colin Jost, I think that this is probably going to be a little tired for you. And that's exactly how I felt, too. I feel like if this was Colin Jost on Naked and Afraid with Leslie Jones and not Peter Dinklage, it would have been 95 percent exactly the same without calling him Tyrion uh, and, you know, any sort of commentary on what he's packing. I think it would have been uh, exactly note for note the same. Exactly. I mean, it's the Leslie Jones character just being plugged into a different situation without uh, a novel sort of take on it. So, uh, yeah, I definitely agree if I but if I didn't know Leslie Jones as well as as you and I do, I might have found this much more funny. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, ultimately, uh, they do they do survive. Uh, Peter Dinklage's score goes up. Uh, for living with Leslie Jones, her score goes down. Do you watch Naked and Afraid? Uh, I have seen it, but I don't watch it. No. Yeah. Okay. All right. And then I believe we go right into another live sketch without any commercial. Right? Is that is that right that they do these three yep. back to back to back? Which again, really yep. impressive considering uh, the makeup from the previous Winnie the Pooh sketch. You would think that they would want to at least build a commercial in. But we come back to the restaurant and uh, let's talk space pants. Whew. This was another one. Um, See, I can't tell if the reaction for Space Pants online has been positive or negative. I think it's positive. I mean, I think at the end, I will say this. 
for me, this was mostly uh, boy. Mm-hmm. But I would say they did sort of win me over by the end. Uh, my take on this is that I feel like maybe Peter Dinklage wanted to do Deep House Dish with Keenan, uh, you know, which is a sketch that had long been retired, uh, you know. But this was this was basically him. Peter Dinklage was doing every character that we would see a guest host and then the musical guest duet with on deep house dish 10 years ago. Uh, and we're just setting it in a different place. Um, a very strange beginning, as I'm sure everybody notices, um, you know, we have Kyle Mooney and, uh, and, uh, and, um, uh, Pete Davidson enter and, uh, and Bobby says, Oh, it's been far, we're hard finding you two, but then, uh, Kyle sits down. It was like a very weird thing. And he's talking to the two of them. And then suddenly John Roditsky just appears in the seat next to Pete Davidson. So it was very strange that, uh, that, the, obviously, I don't know why John Rosinski was the first thing he had been in the whole show. I don't know where he had to be beforehand that he couldn't be there on time. But also very strange that Bobby didn't ad lib a moment. Oh, Bobby and Beck, thank you. Not Kyle. Thank you, Mark. Uh, it was very odd to me that uh, that Bobby, who I love to death, did not ad lib. Oh, he is the other one or something. They just stuck to the script. So it started us off on a very, very weird uh, path, even just getting into the premise. Yeah, I did feel like that he did. I watched this. Uh, scene a second time uh, this afternoon because I felt like I was kind of I was like I was pretty oh boy watching it last night and then I felt like that the response was pretty positive I saw a lot of people talking about space pants online I said okay let me give it another shot and I did feel like that Bobby added in like uh, like yeah where where were you like I think he like said something about it but it was weird that the camera shot was of that they went to Bobby and Beck Bennett and then you see Pete Davidson with the empty chair and they went back to Bobby and Beck Bennett and they come back and then here's John Rodnitsky and I don't know if it was it threw him off that yes. he was in a sketch. He's like, wait, what? What? I'm on screen. What? 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 Right, right. I didn't get cut and dress. What? That's. I didn't even think to show up for the show. I. That's so crazy. I thought I was going to be the waiter who offers them drinks. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. So, exactly. And I felt like though so, I'm probably where you were also. I feel like I was won over by uh, by it towards the end because it was so wacky. But I do feel like the stuff that was going on in the foreground, the Bobby Moynihan hand with Pete Davidson like the whole mob scene I felt like was really the bigger problem here you know the space pants in itself I think was uh you know there there was something there but I feel like that the part about the the mafia guy with the gun and the handkerchief like I felt like that that really was um that exposition I felt like was really uh the trouble spot here. Yeah. Cause it didn't really pay itself off. It really wasn't set up pretty well. And the only place they could really go is ultimately Bobby's character gets won over. I liked the Bobby character, as I think Johnny uh, said on Twitter last night, surprising that we haven't seen Bobby play a caricature of a mafia person before. Cause actually I liked him doing this, uh, but you're right. It was sort of going nowhere. And then it's just ultimately, uh, you know, uh, you know, sort of the the interplay between the back and and then Bobby sort of singing along with Peter Dinklage which was which was odd but I'll give it to Peter Dinklage for the commitment yeah. I mean he you know he <laughs> was all good. in on this one he it was ridiculous uh you know and 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 fun very predictable but very fun to see Gwen Stefani show up and and uh, and and actually feel like she was just being herself any day of the week in this sketch mm-hmm. this uh, this didn't feel like anything special this feels like that's just Gwen Stefani 
I think she may have brought her own wardrobe for this sketch. I think she may have it may this sketch may have been inspired by actual her space, space shorts. shorts. Yeah. That Gwen Stefani has. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I did like when uh, Peter Dinklage uh, was like, excuse me, you're talking down there during my song. That's very rude. Uh, I, I like uh, when, yeah. when that. Uh, but I thought there was another problem where you had that. I think it was John Radinsky says in the sketch. Like, hold on, hold on. I think we have something that's going to be more interesting to you than the $20,000 that we owe you. And I'm like, okay, well, where, where is this going? And that was just like another throwaway piece of dialogue where it was like, it made me sort of like, okay, now my mind is wondering, okay, what are they going to offer to Bobby Moynihan's character to get out of the situation? But it just was, you know, throwaway dialogue or, you know, you know, set up a line that got caught. Yeah, I think it was just throw away to make it seem like, oh, this is an important conversation that they should be having if it wasn't for the Space Pants song going on on the stage. So, uh, yeah, I, I again, I, I think this sort of it saved itself in just its commitment to its ridiculousness. Uh, Gwen Stefani being a, a, mm-hmm. a great sport kind of added to the energy, not the comedy of the scene, but the energy of the scene. And you know what? I'll take it. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm easy. That's fine. So, uh, yeah, not, not the worst thing ever. No. All right. So, Rich, uh, let's talk about this uh, trendy new restaurant that's opened up. So <laughs> this for me was a uh, boy. <laughs> this was a real. So this is what's interesting about this episode, which I wanted to say here <laughs> is it was such an atypical episode because so many of the sketches really were just visual sight gags and that's what we have really that's what space pants was for the most part Mm -hmm. and we're going to see sort of a run between glory hole bobby moynihan as a stop motion outfit uh you know a dead guy in the honeymoon suite like we really it was just a lot of a, a lot of sketches back to back that were nothing more than sight gags which was very strange to me i thought it was a very odd call um this was an, a, a weird one there was so much setting the table and i do mean that pun intended i went back and timed it you know the gag of the of the loaf of bread coming through the glory hole happens a minute and 25 seconds in we've got peter dinklage and and ad bryant explain it then we have the waiter come over to explain it but then says i'll let these guys explain it and then leaves and then peter dinklage and ad bryant then give us more exposition and then kyle mooney's face in the window sets i was like holy smokes how much setup are we doing for this so Um, was the destination worth the journey well, here's what I would say. Out of the gate, the first loaf of bread, very funny sight gag. I mean, it definitely mm-hmm. made me laugh as far as A, that's just funny, and B, wow, they're going there. Um, but then it didn't go anywhere right. past that. We basically just did different uh, different metaphors for penises through the hole. Right. And right. so I felt like for me, we just sort of like, oh, it was a sight gag, a very good sight gag that we just then did four more times. Well, okay. I then I thought it was uh, inspired in terms of I had never seen that gag before. So I have to give them credit for doing something yes. that I had not seen before. I thought that was an original idea. And I'm sure that when they this came up at dress rehearsal or, you know, at the table read, I'm sure there was not a, you know, a dry eye in the house uh, for them to do this. So yes. uh, kudos there. I'm with you through Pumpernickel. 
Again, uh, very, very funny. A lot of commitment there with with 80 and uh, with Dinklage. So all, all yes. very good. I felt like the ending, though, uh, the corn dog, I felt like, uh, you know, I felt like we didn't build on what we had done the first two times. I'm really not even sure what Beck Bennett is doing at the end of the sketch. Uh, I, I don't know what's going yeah, on there. It was a weird throwaway. Like he thinks, Oh, I guess we're just going to take it up the butt, which uh, was, I don't, a, know. Like, I don't know. I don't know how we, yeah, it was a weird way. I will say that I, again, I thought it, and, and I thought Dinklage was great. AD Bryant was very good. I, t- again, weirdly for me, I thought that, uh, Vanessa Bayer was, was to me sort of the MVP of the mm-hmm. sketch, her straight manning of like, I didn't hear any of the words you just said. Like, like a lot of those, like, I can't even understand what you're saying right now because of what's going on. I thought she did a really fun job of grounding the scene. Also, I am a little confused why Jay Farrow needed to come in and, and why there needed to be a handoff from the waiter. It didn't really seem like it paid off at all. I felt like there was something that got trimmed down as far as we're going from a white waiter and the French bread to a black waiter and the pumpernickel bread but it got lost somewhere along the way the direct connection and it ended up just feeling like more exhibition that we didn't need i i don't know it was a uh, it definitely it was it was an unusually busy scene for such a simple premise yeah okay let's talk about the hbo first look uh the big uh game of thrones set piece <sighs> again i love bobby this yeah. was made for me but they didn't really give Bobby anything to do right. enough to go, oh, this uh, to me again. We're, so we're seeing the Game of Thrones, which is odd that we've got Kate McKinnon in the exact same outfit she was in the monologue, which makes me think that the monologue was hastily rewritten because it was the exact same outfit playing the exact same character. And we see that Bobby Motion is the stop. He's the Andy Circus uh, or uh, whatever yeah. of, uh, of Game of Thrones. But then they was it was mostly just him going, rah, rah, which was amusing. But uh, if for me, there was one moment when uh, um, uh, Taron Killam's delivering lines of dialogue as the actor. And he says something like war is not a game. And the Bob Moynihan goes of Thrones. They're like, cut, cut. Like, like at least that gave him something other than that. It was just a lot of watching. It felt like, again, it really wasn't more than a sight gag of look at Bobby Moynihan in this outfit, as opposed to giving Bobby a great character to do some really interesting stuff. The production values were incredible that they really, uh, it could not have looked better. It was impressive. You feel like that they had to, maybe they started building these sets like for weeks, knowing that Dinklage was coming. So epic, a completely fantastic. It looked amazing. It looked like the real show. And Oh, and when they used the SNL actors as the Game of Thrones characters, and then we see the real dragon, it looked like an episode of Game of Thrones. The dragon, the real dragon looked amazing. I don't know if they were stealing from the real show and matting it in or mm-hmm. if they did their own effects, but the that piece sold it so well. I thought that part was really good. But it was all sizzle and no state. There was there was no joke here. I just I don't even understand what the you know like that the jokes were that Bobby Moynihan it took some uh, half an hour to get in and out of the costume. I just I didn't understand what his character was. Yeah, it it the, it felt in premise not that they were stealing from this, but it felt a kindred spirit to me. One of the the iconic version of this sketch was actually not SNL. 
now, it was a long time ago at the MTV Movie Awards when Ben Stiller played Tom Cruise's stunt double mm-hmm. and, and with the real Tom Cruise. And it was him. It was seeing Ben Stiller trying to show that his his character was so integral to the, the, to the Tom Cruise movies. And in fact, he's just this nothing guy. He's he's really nothing more than a stunt double. And uh, and it was so iconically funny. And I felt like this was sort of a in that was its spirit animal, the sketches. Uh, and yet it didn't capture really any of those great nuances that made that thing so iconic of a sketch. Right. And I think you could probably have done more service to that of like setting up interviews with Bobby Moynihan, like sort of like he wants to do the same sort of interviews that Peter Dinklage is doing and Amelia Clark is doing. And 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 they're like, no, 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 we got it. We, we don't need to hear from you. And, and like him, like trying yeah. to make a big point of. Uh, so I think that you're right. I think that's a good that's a good point. Uh, but I just felt like that there was really other than, hey, look, it's Game of Thrones. Like, I felt like that this really, really struggled to have a point. Yeah. And by the point we get to, he's caught up in the wires and maybe it's pulling on him or it's pulling on his private parts or something. But mm-hmm. then it's stuck and they have to cut him down. It was just I hate to use Bobby's name and a uh, boy in the same sentence. But I, his I think Not even his Bobby fault. watching it back would say, oh, boy, that was a tough like kind of ending. I was I was very excited for it to wrap up. Right. And not to really nitpick here, but if you're going to do a setup about Game of Thrones inside look of season six, I don't know if Daenerys is in Marine in season six. So I don't really know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, all right, let's go ahead and uh, let's talk about Gwen Stefani when she's not singing about space pants or shorts. So uh, let's bring in the great editor of Exclaim Magazine, James Keese. James, uh, are you ready to talk about Gwen Stefani here tonight? I certainly am. In fact, I have an update on the space shorts. Yes. Uh, they were not hers, but they are now because she took them home. Okay. Space Chase. At the specific request of her beau, Blake Shelton, who tweeted, please, Gwen Stefani, bring the space shorts home. And she tweeted a photo uh, back at him and said that they were already packed. Okay. All right. So space shorts are coming home. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of Blake Shelton tweeting and, and being uh, retweeted by SNL NBC. Uh, yeah. Look at them. The couple synergy the little, uh, power couple synergy. Yeah. Okay. All right. So let's talk about uh, Gwen and her performance uh, here tonight. James, how'd she do coming out of the gate? Well, in fact, the first song is rumored to be about Blake. Whoa. Uh, make me like you is what it's called. And, uh, you know, it's a, I thought it was a super catchy pop number for those, uh, ancient dinosaurs in the audience, uh, sort of reminded me of the early two thousands cardigans hit love fool. Oh, I don't know if you remember that. Yeah, yeah, I remember it vividly. Uh, so it, it kind of rung of that for me. And, uh, you know, Gwen Stefani in her younger years was kind of a, a punkier, uh, ska punk chick and, and, uh, she's gone in a softer kind of pop direction and, and, uh, it was a very sweet, catchy, charming kind of song and, uh, they seem like they're very in love and that's all good. Okay. All right. Yeah, I, I liked it. Not as I, for me, it was only a three chair turnaround, not a four chair turnaround, <laughs> but I did like it. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, then what about, uh, Gwen Stefani's, uh, second, uh, number of the night? Uh, so I only had one word in my notes for her second song. Yes. Uh, that word was abs. Whoa. Uh, because <laughs> I, 
I mean, ridiculous. The woman is 46 years old. She looks amazing. And I, I was mesmerized by her flat stomach. I can't help it. Yeah. Okay. Um, so the other side of, of Gwen Stefani's relationships, uh, this song, Misery, is apparently about her breakup with Gavin Rossdale, her longtime husband. So we're, we're getting kind of two sides of, of Gwen's personal life uh, on the show tonight. Beginnings and endings. I watched this twice and I have literally no memory of this song at all. I just, <laughs> it just kind of goes by and it's, it, it's neither offensive nor uh, good. Really. It's just there. James, overall, are you a fan of uh, the work of Gwen Stefani? Uh, you know, I was a fan of a couple of no doubt songs back in the day. And uh, they were certainly ubiquitous uh, when I would, you know, I hate I was in university at the time. So uh, but, uh, you know, she was fine. Uh, I was never a huge fan, mm-hmm. uh, but but she's this is her first music in, in eight years, I think, nine years. And she hasn't been on the show since 2005, even though this is her sixth time that she's been on the show. Wow. So, yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't think she's going to break the record. Dave Grohl owns the record with 11 music appearances. Wow. I wouldn't have picked Dave Grohl. Uh, it's a lot of different bands. Okay. All right. Uh, <laughs> so Gwen Stefani uh, in the rearview mirror. We're coming up with uh, Margot Price uh, on the next live show. Uh, anything you could preview for Margot Price? Well, she's a young and up and coming country singer. And uh, and so I don't really know a lot about her. But I think so. This is going to be an introduction, I think, to a lot of people for her. And uh, yeah, it should be interesting. Okay. Uh, anything else musically about the show this week, James? Uh, space pants, space pants, thumbs up for space pants. Yeah. There's, <laughs> there's going to be space pants remixes this week hitting, uh, hitting SoundCloud. Yeah. I it's coming. All right. Well, James, uh, great job. We'll talk to you again soon. Okay. Talk to you next week. All right. Follow James on Twitter. He's at exclaim editor. Take care, James. All right, Rich. Uh, let's continue with Weekend Update to talk about whether or not Weekend Update has uh, kept up the momentum over uh, it's had this season. All right. Uh, you want to start off with uh, the performances of Shay and Jost? Yeah, I thought this was good. I don't know that uh, there, I will say, I didn't write any jokes down this week, mm-hmm. which is uh, not necessarily a big criticism, but just there was nothing that just had me uh, over the moon laughing. But I thought that in general, again, I felt that the the energy is working well. Che's energy has risen a bit. I, uh, the interplay and timing between the two guys was nice. So I thought this was solid uh, as far as just the, the them. Uh, solid, not, not spectacular, but not not a not a crash and burn so uh, it was good it's certainly a good sign that we're sort of hitting our stride after some real tough starts early on i thought they did a good job i did like the run about the uh women should not be punished uh if this is the puzzle on wheel yes, of fortune yes. uh you should not say women should be punished uh so that, that was uh, that was all pretty good yes that was very good you're right yes uh, pete davidson uh shows up to talk about the hulk hogan gawker decision uh, what do you think of Pete Davidson here? I like this and I, I like this. I don't want to say a lot, but I, I really like this. And I think, again, uh, I'm a bit of a broken record on this or a skipping CD. Uh, but I did feel like I like that he is breaking out of using a topical news story to tell some biological, uh, a bi- biographical story that is clearly from his stand up act. This mm-hmm. was 
Pete Davidson commenting on the actual story and Hulk Hogan, which is a topical news event. And I thought he did a very nice job. I thought, uh, you know, the writing more than the performing, uh, I thought was in general was was quite good. Um, I thought it was I thought it was really fun. I thought it was a fun take. I've heard a lot of the general jokes before, but the specifics were funny and he was very affable about it. And I thought it was a nice light. uh, You know, most of the jokes that he did could have been done by Michael Che or Colin Jost, but I liked that it was Pete Davidson kind of brings his own personality to it, changes the energy up a little bit of weekend update. And, uh, and I thought it was good. Yeah. And he seems more comfortable at the update desk as we go on and on, you know, uh, easy to forget how young he is. Cause he seems like he's already been on the show for a long time now. Uh, but you know, yeah. uh, good job by Pete Davidson. Okay. Also, uh, David Ortiz is back now in the past. You've been a bigger David Ortiz on weekend update, uh, a bigger fan than I have. What'd you think of this time out for Keenan as David Ortiz? I have no legitimate right to like this bit. And yet it makes me laugh every freaking time. Every when he starts the lineup of the the mofongo and the fofa, and I just start giggling like a teenager. Yeah. I don't know why this. I hate Willie. I I mean, there's I hate Jean Valjean. Where the hell his name is? I hate every Keenan week update character more than the next. And then Big Poppy. He doesn't look like Big Poppy. He doesn't sound like Big Poppy. It has nothing to do with baseball, and yet it just makes me laugh like a freaking idiot. I thought, it, was this the best Big Poppy we've seen? No. But by the end, my wife, Jen, was watching, and at first she was like, I don't understand why you're laughing right now. And by the end, she was laughing just as hard as I was. We just, I just, it's silly incarnate done to me super well. Yeah. Uh, to me, the food stuff doesn't tickle me that much. I do like when he gets into like the uh, endorsements that he has. <laughs> uh, you yes. know, uh, between uh, w- when it was uh, uh, baseball uh, to uh, whelp to uh, B World, yeah. uh, all <laughs> yes, all, you know, all really really strong stuff. Yeah. Just so silly, so silly and so fun. That was I thought it was great. So fun way to end weekend update, which was good. Yeah. And it does look like Big Poppy is going to retire before Keenan will. Does not seem like they're on the same calendar. Amazing. Yeah. That is amazing. All right. Uh, Let's talk about the honeymoon suite. And uh, this sketch, which uh, I thought was, uh, you know, a pretty, pretty ingenious in terms of uh, what they came up with. So the premise is couple on a honeymoon. They have this suite, which has a big view of the ocean. And now here's Taryn Killam as a dead body. Yeah. Again, for me, it was a great sight gag. Mm -hmm. It was a very funny sight gag. Taryn Killen's performance as a dead person was better than half the cast as live people. (laughs) Uh, So very funny to watch that. I don't know that they effectively built a sketch around it. I think adding another dead person felt a little uh, to me. Mm -hmm. Uh, Absolutely some funny lines in here. Dinklage absolutely sort of just, you know, played the straight man very well. Um, So I was his name, his character's name. 
oh Raul or something like that. It was a it was like, like it was like Ray Ray Ark. <laughs> yeah, Ray, Ray was a very strange. I thought he was very good, Dinklage. I think yeah. he was very funny here. Yeah, did did, did a very fine job. Um, but it was just uh, it was just oddly fun to see what at first I thought might have been green screen or a video. So nope, it was Taron Killam just legitimately pretending to be a dead person. Uh, so that was cute. Uh, I don't know that the whole idea that you know uh, that Beck Bennett still wants to have sex regardless and it's our honeymoon and they're getting comped mm-hmm. uh, similar to the Bobby Moynihan as a gangster in front of space pants. I, I it was just sort of like, uh, and so it didn't really evo- add it to me. Adding a dead body did not move the scene forward. It was just m- literally more of the same for me. Um, so I don't know. I didn't like this as much as probably everybody else. Yeah. Uh, I, thought that it was a pretty fun idea I, I think i agree about they uh did not really know how to get out of it and then they have the leak uh coming in and again then simply then they just sort of like uh you know cut it right after that so uh i don't know if it was a, a perfect sketch by any stretch of the imagination but i felt like that uh, on this night i felt like it was one of the better ideas they had fair enough okay. fair enough uh let's talk about the uh, vacation nightmares and the mug the uh the dutch muggers <laughs> or the danish muggers danish this was another weird <laughs> I, I you know it didn't work for me on paper but again <laughs> everyone in the sketch was so funny that it did it didn't win me over but it definitely kept me from falling into full old boy car- uh, 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 territory it was silly enough mm-hmm. uh that and you know uh, and i like that we just have the premise that it was very hard to cast this and the fact that they're they're miming you know a phone like it did get sillier mm-hmm. and sillier uh you know thank god this sketch is at you know at at uh, 12 40 at night because this is th- this was just it was just such a dumb idea done fairly well uh you know with a nice couple of turns here and there and then i I felt like they were really running out of ideas when they bring in uh kyle mooney to do his amsterdam rapper that he always does in the town hall (laughs) sketches uh you know which i don't know why we needed that suddenly um but fun enough yeah i think it was pretty fun you know i i'd like uh, sort of like the there was a lot of different levels between it was the reenactment with the Danish uh, muggers uh, who were calling everybody. Yeah, I'm Danish, bitch. Uh, so I like that <laughs> level. And then I like the cutting to the real people who this had happened. Like this was nothing like what happened. They, they weren't even uh, women or, you know, so I like that. And then I also like yeah. Dinklage having to like reconcile as the narrator about like, OK, well, admittedly, uh, this was, you know, a tough thing to cast. It was non-union. So I kind of like the logic of that also. So I I feel like uh, overall, I felt like this was uh, this was fine for me. I don't have any gripes with this one. Yeah, and I will say I liked that SNL went very off uh, off their usual thing of the pre- you know we, the explanation of the premise which we start out this was a hard thing to cast instead of going okay here here is our here is the logic for the why and then moving on they kept sort of every time they went back to Dinklage he had more explanation as to why this was going on which I thought good on them that was sort of a fun twist all right and then let's talk about uh, the magic show uh, where. <laughs> Uh, Dinklage is the boss who is the uh, the butt of the joke and uh, does not appreciate it and then is really looking for, uh, you know, a lot of explanation about what's going on here. <laughs> yeah, really? You're down that down on this one, too? <laughs> 
This was this was really. T- I mean, <laughs> I get it on paper, right? And God bless Dinklage for committing one hundred percent to a sketch that the audience was not finding funny. The extras sitting around him were not finding mm-hmm. funny. I don't think Taron Killam was finding it funny. <laughs> uh, I thought this was really tough. I get it on paper, but it didn't go anywhere enough that I. I just wanted it to be over. I was just like, okay, is there going to be a moat tonight? Is there not going to be a moat? What's going on? Uh, I, I just wanted it to be over, but I will commend them uh, really sticking to it, especially Dinklage. More, uh, Taron Killam was fine. Um, I felt like maybe there could have been more with his character to kind of give this some life. Um yeah, uh, uh, whatever. What are you gonna do? I I really liked Dinklage's performance here. I thought that he was uh, that, yes. that he that the the character that he was playing and just the voice that he was doing the whole time. I really, you know, I liked his. Uh, <laughs> I liked you know how committed he was to it. And then there was uh, some little things there that I liked where he's like, oh, oh, so I have to be, you know, uh, the, you know, this joke that you and your wife. And it's like, hold on, she's she's not my wife. And uh, well, if she's your <laughs> wife, if she's not your wife, then why are you dressed the same? And he's like, you know, people don't always dress like their wife. And then Vanessa was dressed exactly like him. And he's like, uh, you know, I just thought that that was some fun business it, for a, for a 10 to a nice 1 touch. sketch. I thought this was fu- this was also fine for me. So, yeah, these update sketches. Yes, I, I agree. Oh, yes. overall, like, uh, you know, maybe, you know, I, I had been my expectations were so high and I had really just come down to sea level after update. But uh, I have no issues with uh, these post update sketches. We'll agree to disagree on this. Okay. one. Yeah. All right. Um, let's talk about the goodbyes. All right. What did you think about uh, Peter Dinklage and the cast? Did it seem like that they had gotten along? Because as uh, you had mentioned, Peter Dinklage does have a, a bit of a reputation of being, uh, you know, not the friendliest guy. Yeah, he does not have the best reputation. Uh, and it was interesting to see that there was a uh, a real moat between him and, and Gwen Stefani. There was a good oh. uh, four to six feet. Now, here's my asterisk to this. And again, I, whatever. I think because of Peter Dinklage's height, they may have done it out of a deference to not wanting to be standing right on top of him. Uh, And I say that specifically because after they said goodnight, um, I was watching it a couple of times and I felt like Taryn Killam was giving Dinklage a look of just like, great job like you did a great job and uh and and kyle mooney gave him a big hug and uh there was a lot of photos on twitter of leslie jones and peter dinklage who really liked him uh and and they they obviously were very close so i think actually he really endeared himself to the cast I, i got a very warm feeling from him uh so so i liked that um, Mark noted something I thought it's worth uh, calling out. It was weird that Gwen Stefani's band was not on the stage, which mm. is very odd. I don't know. That's obviously Gwen's choice. I don't think there's a chance that the band said, I'm good. I'm good in the green room. I don't need the stage time. I'm fine. For Gwen. Uh, and it's yeah. not an SNL choice because we, we always have the band, even if it's nobody's, even if it's session players. So very odd choice, I thought. Yeah. It's interesting. You guys are good. They're really, even uh, identifying Gwen Stefani's band and whether they're on the stage or not. That's a really d- very deep analysis. Yeah, that's Mark. Mark's got the music eyes that, <laughs> that I don't always notice. Yeah. Okay. So, Rich, any final thoughts on Dinklage and uh, this week's episode? 
Yeah, for me, I put it in the category of overall misses. I feel like we've had such goods, uh, you know, when even the Ariana Grande, I think uh, our last one was for me just a lot better. Um, and we had been on kind of a roll of some really good, especially Larry David and Ronda Rousey, uh, you know, so we had some really good ones. Um, but, you know, you can't hit a home run every time you get up to play. It is going to happen. Uh, next week, we've got Russell Crowe, who's never hosted before. Very nervous how that one's going to go. I that's that could be hilarious or that could be really rough waters. Uh, so I that one I don't know about. Uh, but then we we then end April with Julia Louis Dreyfus, obviously an alumni of the show in that sort of Sarah Silverman category of alumni, but not known for being an alumni, known for being famous for something else. But she is absolutely a comic pro. I think that's going to be the highlight of the month uh, before we go on our hiatus. Before, dare I say it, we come back for what will probably be the three final episodes of the season. Wow. So we are really getting towards the end. The nitty gritty. OK, so, yeah, the Russell Crowe thing was a bit of a blind side. I did not even know that uh, Russell Crowe and uh, JLD had been uh, announced. Do you think that it's possible that we end up with, uh, you said it's going to be next week, Larry David was going to host, uh, but do you think that we'll see a Larry David appearance when Julie Louis-Dreyfus is the host? Or will that depend completely on what Bernie yeah, Sanders is doing? Yeah, I, I think you're right. I think, and I had mentioned it just generically saying next week with Larry David, I, I but I do think you're right. I think he will wait. He's very close with Julia Louis-Dreyfus. She was on Curb after, you know, Seinfeld. Um, I, I think, so I think we'll see, I'll see, we'll, we'll see him for that, you know, unless of course something very interesting happens this week with Bernie. And then I think they would sort of beg him to come on, you know, as he's topical. Okay. All right, uh, Rich, great work once again. Anything else you want to make sure we know about before we wrap this up? Uh, no, I, I love to mark through a link in the show notes in the in the chat room about an article about the band, the SNL band, which I want to check out. And uh, at some point, we'll have a sub podcast talking about the other uh, the Lonely Island sketch show uh, party over here. How's it been? Uh <sighs> It is uh, produced by uh, the partnership of O and Moy. <laughs> oh, come on. Uh, uh, and I, I love everyone involved in the show, but yeah. it is rough. rough I haven't seen so this far. week. Maybe this week, gets, uh, this week gets better. I hear this is the week it turns around. I hope so. Okay. All right. Uh, great job uh, once again, Rich. Thanks, everybody uh, who joined us live in the chat room. We'll be back again next Sunday, 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific, to talk about the Russell Crowe episode uh very excited to uh, do it once again next week thanks so much to scott st pierre who gets the snl podcast out to you guys uh greatly appreciate that until next time we'll take care everybody bye bye bye